and welcome to the To Mom podcast. My name is Valerie Probstfeld. Please join me as we encourage mothers to live their verb while also practicing self-grace. The goal of this podcast is to promote love as an action and live life more authentically. Just think about it. In five generations from now, you will have approximately 30 descendants and the number keeps getting larger and larger. We have more power as moms than we realize. Motherhood, in my opinion, is the most important job in the world. Thank you so much for tuning in today. So what I want to talk about are roads that I call mental pathways. This concept is actually what inspired me to start writing and to do this podcast. Our brains have an interstate system that consists of a huge microscopic network. These highways are responsible for everything we think, do, and feel, whether it be daily movement or performing our jobs. Freeways allow for incredibly fast travel of our mind's messages. But here's the problem. What if these internal highways are not leading us to behaviors we want? As mothers, we sometimes can experience highways of frustration, anxiety, or other actions not intended. Our brains consist of billions of neurons with trillions of networks between them. The mind is like a huge tree that grows many branches. In fact, in just two years of life, an MRI scan of the brain can reveal amazing connections formed if you compare a newborn's brain scan to a two-year-old's brain scan. It's actually quite fascinating to see. And it's, this, this is the case especially in childhood, but also in adulthood. It's a concept called neuroplasticity I talked briefly about in episode one, um, which we'll talk some more about uh, later on in this episode. So uh, briefly, just to talk a little bit more about this process, neurons, which I also refer to as nerve cells, so it's the same thing when I say neuron or nerve cell, um, they communicate with each other similar to a game of telephone. They essentially hand off the message to each subsequent neuron. The neighboring nerve cell receives the message and dutifully sends it to the next neuron. This process is performed through both electrical and chemical communication. The space that separates nerve cells is called a synaptic cleft, so it's just a little space in between the two. And inside the neuron are little compartments called vesicles that house chemical messengers. Uh, When the nerve cell is activated and fires, certain chemicals that are in these vesicles, they're called neurotransmitters, they're released and find a receptor on the neighboring neuron to lock into. So essentially, these neurotransmitters are released into the synaptic cleft, find a receptor, and binds to it and locks into it. So what that does, it then activates that that neuron, that receiving neuron, um, and then that neuron will pass it on to the next one, and so on and so forth. Okay. So communication can either be excitatory, which promotes more communication, or inhibitory, which stops the communication. And this happens all at lightning speed. It's very complicated. This is kind of just a very um, brief overview of it. Um, But a few examples of these neurotransmitters include epinephrine, which we also call adrenaline, serotonin, mood boosting, 
dopamine, which is motivation seeking, acetylcholine, which promotes muscle movement, and gamma aminobutyric acid, otherwise known as GABA. And that's one of those inhibitory ones that stops the message or stops that game of telephone. Okay, so if we use a neuronal pathway a lot, essentially, again, a group of these nerve cells or neurons firing the messages together, this creates a stronger connection. And the message keeps firing along this route. It grows stronger. And also, there's a signal that's sent to prune other less utilized routes. So um, this can be good or bad, depending on the end product of the nerve cell network. So this could be like a desired behavior that we want to do, like, for example, walking or talking or something like that, um, or an undesired outcome or like a bad habit that you want to try to improve. So really, um, microscopically, they're all these uh, nerve cell connections uh, that become highways over time when we use them again and again. As an adult, it sometimes feels difficult or requires more effort to learn something new or alter behaviors because essentially you're changing the nerve cell path. You're taking a back road as opposed to a highway. But that's not impossible. And again, this process is called neuroplasticity, the growth of new neurons or new nerve cell connections. Kind of like those branches on the tree, more branches are formed. Um, and neuroscientist and ophthalmologist at Stanford University, Andrew Huberman, in his podcast, The Huberman Lab, points out the challenging feeling with learning. Like I said, it's many times hard to first learn something new, especially as an adult. However, Huberman emphasizes that's normal and in fact is what is needed for these new pathways to grow. We need that kind of sense of this is difficult. The brain needs that. Okay. So an example of this is when I was in grade school, I was not good at math or so I believed. As a child, I accepted my fate and did not develop a strong math road. Instead, a well-traveled highway formed in my mind called Math is Hard Road. It wasn't until years later of college, or I'm sorry, it wasn't until like later years in college uh, that I was forced to face this mathematical demon of mine. On the first day of nursing school, we were told in order to pass the program, 100% is required on the math test. So 100% in order to pass. And actually, in retrospect, I think that I like that policy because their rationale um, is if, if you're a nurse, you should not be making a mistake with medication calculation. Um, at the time, it was uh, very motivating and concerning to get a 100%. Uh, they gave us one month to prepare. and. Uh, but I, you know, surprisingly had a newfound perseverance at the time. I studied a lot, and uh, instead of taking that usual math is hard pathway, I tried a new pathway and sought to understand. Um, and I practiced and practiced, and I practiced getting it wrong until I got it right. Um, it took a lot of time, but to my astonishment, <clears throat> I received a 100% on that first try. We had two tries to get it, and I, and I was able to do it on the first try. So this was a back road at work uh, or that neuroplasticity and also what I talked about in episode one a little bit of Carol Dweck's growth mindset. 
Um, so I forgot about all of this until recently. My daughter showed me her homework, and it said, solve the problem. With my childhood math memories, the word problem invokes a little bit of anxiety. But, you know, interestingly to Matt, uh, my husband, the word problem is an exciting challenge. Um, he has a different paradigm of that word. So with this in mind, I decided to change my narrative. I told her, let's practice and come up with a solution. I took a back road in my mind and helped my daughter strengthen this problem-solving route. Instead of creating that problem is a problem and it's anxiety, it's actually a problem is an opportunity. Okay? So on a similar note, my four-year-old son recently discovered Halloween spider webs in our holiday closet. Delightfully, for the remainder of the hour, he decorated my house in cobwebs. And I contemplated stopping him, thinking about the mess that would need to be cleaned up later. However, he was having so much fun that I decided to allow him to do it or to continue doing it. When his project was complete, the white stretchy fabric of spiderwebs hung in one corner of the room by the fireplace and another by the bookshelf, and a different section wrapped around my staircase, and soon practically everything was covered in a network or a system of spiderwebs. Some sections had thick and strong connections, and others were weaker, and he had to keep working on it so he could make it stay on a piece of furniture. It actually looked a lot like these brain networks. And I was writing about this at the time. I'm like, oh, this is a good visual here. So I was ducking underneath huge paths and helping the weak ones stick. And one by one, kind of like our neurons or nerve cells, it was communicating and producing a complex web. There are strong connections with frequent travel and weaker connections that need a little help to stay put, if you think about it from a brain sense. So then we cleaned it up, and I thought it was fun. It, was, it wasn't too bad of a cleanup. So, uh, so that was an interesting visual. Now, it's so easy to live life on our brain's interstate system. It almost seems like our neurons love to put messages on cellular cruise control. Nerve cells put on sunglasses and zip off into the sunset at lightning speed, which makes sense. It is the path of least resistance. Change is hard. However, allowing our brain cells to take a back road enables us to learn, and sometimes it means more joy, love, and contentment in our lives. For example, if I can experience gratitude and compassion more often, traffic from a frustration highway in my brain can exit onto a back road that is more desirable for me. The brain has many structures. However, often they work together in concert. Andrew Huberman, again, also uses an example of keys played on a piano. Each note you could think of as like one area of the brain. It can, can, be, or I'm sorry, it can be played in a different rhythm or sequence. Multiple notes at the same time can evoke certain moods compared to others. The brain is incredibly complex, but can be pieced together to produce a beautiful outcome. As a musician, I play the flute, um, so as a flutist or flautist, or however you want to say that, I don't know if there's really a um, consensus on that these days. I say flutist. I love this analogy. Sometimes I feel like my brain can have major or minor melodies. 
Major keys are really, they're essentially more lighthearted and happy um, sounds. In contrast, minor keys sound more sad or even mysterious or spooky. Um, one can also adjust the intensity of the sound, which we call in the music world dynamics. So a lot of this is similar to speech, right? And, um, and how our brain is um, wired. And a common goal of a musician is to make the music look easy, which in reality, that is quite difficult. This requires months and months of practice of a piece. And it's similar to, the brain, to our brain and our actions, right? Sometimes the controlled and softer sounds are more difficult than the loud, quick, and frustrated ones. So it really takes a lot of work to make something look simple. Uh, my daughter recently had asked uh, or said, uh, driving looks simple. It, it looks easy. And I said, well, you know, that's because I practiced and practiced and I, and I learned and now it looks easy. But everything that's easy now was once hard, right? Like even walking for toddlers, that's, that's difficult. Uh, speech, like in the preschool child, that's... That's challenging, but then as you keep practicing it, it gets easier and easier and starts to look simple to uh, someone uh, observing. Okay, so last winter, I followed my child, or actually I followed all my children, through a forest on a chilly afternoon. I carried a blue sled with one hand and a dozing off baby in the other. The snow crunched beneath our boots while the cold wind blew in my face. And my children kept shouting to me, saying, come on, mom, you're walking too slow. Um, and it was, it was hard. There were snowdrifts weighing us down. Leafless branches poked from different directions as I attempted to walk through them. Um, I was having to push sticks away from my face. It was definitely not a, um, a path. We were creating our own path. And I told them, it's far, it's cold, I'm taking a while here. Um, Again, that path, it was arduous and frustrating. However, the kids didn't seem to mind it. Um, but when we finally arrived, um, it was like the sledding hill. Um, it, we could see it through a clearing in the trees. It greeted us with sparkling snow from the bright sun. And time ceased to exist when we were there. I mean, it was it, the stillness. Uh, there was a, a woodpecker melodically drilling its beak into a tree. A red cardinal flew by, um, which you could really see contrasting with the white snow. Suddenly, I forgot about the difficulty of the path and was just at peace. My two older kids quickly grabbed the sled from my hand, and they ran up the hill with a kind of joy adults somehow have lost. As I watched, it became clear our challenging path in the woods was worthwhile. Um, the sledding hill provided freedom, not only for the kids, but for myself. My baby startled awake with all the commotion, and her eyes quickly filled with wonder as she watched her siblings. I helped them make snow angels and participated in an impromptu snowball fight. For a moment, I lived life through the eyes of my children. My inner child played alongside them in a magical, wintry world. So if I want to go back to this moment, literally or figuratively, the pathway will be less effort. We created a new path together. We were able to physically stomp on those snowdrifts and make it easier to cross. Um, there won't be as many sharp branches in our way. And with each subsequent visit, the walk will be less challenging. The more we consciously press forward 
and practice positive thoughts and actions, the easier it eventually becomes. At first, working out less utilized muscles or paving new growth in our mind is supposed to feel hard. Again, this is normal, as we had stated earlier. Um, so it's challenging to take a back road when our neurons are accustomed to a typical traffic pattern. You cannot run a marathon overnight. It takes baby steps. Over time, it requires less effort again and is easier, makes it look easy. Or I should say it makes it look easy, right? Um, it's not very easy. We know, but it, it, other people will think it, it, we aren't using as much effort. Um, the more we travel, the quicker and busier our back road will become and eventually can possibly become a highway in itself. Neuroanatomist Jill Boyd Bolt-Taylor, in her book, My Stroke of Insight, um, it says, most of our cells have our best interest. They sometimes just need to be pointed in a different direction. So with all this road talk, I decided to look up the origins of roads. In the traditional sense, a road is a way of travel for people, animals, or wheeled vehicles to move. In modern use, the term road describes rural, less-traveled way, while the word street denotes a more urban feel. I remember when I lived in Connecticut, driving along the Boston Post Road. According to the U.S. Department of Transportation, Federal Highway Administration, many parts of that road were originally a Native American pathway. And in the 17th and 18th century, the mail route traveled between New York and Boston. Carriers of mail transferred goods to each other midway, much like neural synapses or those connections, handing off that message. Benjamin Franklin placed mile markers along the road for clarity, and stagecoach travel eventually made the route faster. In the Midwest, a motoring book that I came across from 1915 describes the conditions of roads, stone, brick, or loose gravel. Directions in this book are difficult and ambiguous. And about a decade later, 1926, Route 66 was developed. At the time, it was advertised as the shortest, best, and most scenic route from Chicago through St. Louis to Los Angeles, according to NPS.gov. So the modern term highway was developed in the 20th century and refers to a major traveled route. So Dwight D. Eisenhower, in 1956, he was inspired by the German Autobahn, created or signed the National System of Interstate and Defense Highways. Um, this became the United States Eisenhower Interstate System, so the first like physical highway system in this country, and it was a well-traveled network of highways that allowed for quicker access from coast to coast. With unity of a highway system, travelers were able to arrive at their destinations faster. In Dallas, um, where I used to live, there is a confusing set of highways sometimes referred to as the Mixmaster. There are two frequently traveled Texas roads that merge together here. Uh, similarly, I can experience that in my mind. Um, so it, like a comparison to the brain, I have multiple negative highways that merge together or create numerous bricks that kind of weigh me down at the same time. Sometimes like when I have a, a couple thoughts in my head that I don't want, it's almost like a game of whack-a-mole. Like if I'm anxious about something, what if this, or what if that? It's like you, you, push one thought down, but then another thought comes up. Um, in these instances, it's helpful to consciously steer my mind in a direction that I want to go, essentially like off-road, get off that highway, either exit it or just 
get off it however you can. Um, change that game of telephone or voluntarily alter a specific thought. Okay, so how do we do that? Breaking down the word highway to its original Latin form means way or essentially I carry. So high, so highway, high is an elevated path with mounds of dirt to the side. As moms, we sometimes carry a lot of weight. We also burden ourselves with heavy loads of negative baggage. So I attended an interesting retreat a few years ago in Dallas. I was instructed to list on a piece of paper my negative self-talk words for 60 seconds. And that's a long time to list words. Um, I, listed, I listed a bunch. Um, like a few of them um, off the top of my head were like frustration. I, I can struggle with that. I could struggle with worry or the sense of control. Like I want to control things. Um, but then I kept going, like perfection, unable to be vulnerable. My list eventually within that minute um, filled the entire page. So after that, we were told to transfer those words to wooden blocks that they put on the tables. Um, so essentially, you had to write down on a big block or what they called bricks, um, all those words. So immediately, I regretted writing so many words. And then they said, you have to carry these bricks these blocks or bricks, along with you for the remainder of the day, which I was like, what the heck? I don't want to carry these. I had like 15 blocks. Um, and they weren't small either. Like they were like pretty big blocks. So, you know, luckily it wasn't the entire day, but it was like a good hour that I had to carry these blocks around. And it was during lunchtime. So I, they legit like just left the room and said, figure it out. So I had to find a book bag to put a few in, but still needed to carry some because I had like 15 again. Um, individuals had to open up doors for me. We were at a hotel, so they had to like open up doors to, to get through rooms. There weren't that many people on this retreat. So like, um, I mean, compared to like the hotel. So people were like, what the heck are these people doing? It was embarrassing. Um, I was exhausted and annoyed. And um, I remembered that before all of this, I planned to meet my husband, Matt, and um, my daughter at the time. She, that was, she was my first, and uh, she was like, I don't know, maybe 12 months old or so. So I lugged the blocks to the lobby of the hotel and saw my daughter uh, sitting with Matt, uh, playing next to one of those hotel fountains. She was having a blast. Uh, she turned towards me, and her eyes lit up. She ran as quick as she could to be picked up. However, I could not hold her properly because of these annoying blocks. She started crying, so I put them down to pick her up. She fully expected me to put down all the blocks in order to be held. Later on, as we reflected on this exercise, I thought more about it. Even though I looked ridiculous, it was a good reminder. I had to let the negative bricks go in order to truly be there for my daughter. Okay, so I had to let those negative bricks go. I realized this exercise was a good visual on what we need to do or what we can do in order to utilize our verb as moms. Let go of negative emotions. Let go of your mental weight. However, sometimes even with this knowledge, I still carry a lot of negative bricks or blocks. How about you? When I burden myself with a self-imposed load, I bet my family sees these invisible bricks or blocks just as plain as my daughter saw the wooden blocks I carried in that hotel years ago. 
We justify our actions as I have to figure out a way to carry these. I cannot release them. But what are we afraid to lose if we let go of these bricks? There is much more freedom in releasing control. Perfection, worry, and frustration, again, are some of my heaviest bricks. I have to remind myself, sometimes daily, to put them down. In the act of putting blocks down, or these bricks down, I realize the weight that lifts from my shoulders. We can give our bricks to God, or visualize them floating down a river or out to sea. We have the opportunity to be lighter, more joyful, and truly present in our lives, as well as our families. So today, I encourage you to think about what are your bricks? What are your negative bricks? Think about them or journal about them and take some time to reflect on that. So the second part of my episode here, I want to talk about some of our activities that we've been doing. So update on our seeds. They're growing into tall seedlings. Um, So take a look at my most recent blog post for details. I put some pictures on there and a little bit more information on uh, that post. And I wanted to make a correction to the podcast episode one. This is all sowing. Planting seeds is uh, sowing. So when you're reaping, it's when you gather the crop, uh, like the harvest part. So planting seeds at first seemed daunting, but we have not done much with them, honestly, other than sunlight and water um, or providing sunlight, giving water every now and then. I plan to eventually transfer them to the outside after the later after the last frost. And that part we're familiar with. This past summer, I bought some of those garden beds, I think from Home Depot, and a few little plants. They weren't seeds. They were just little plants. And the reason why I did this was at the time, my goal was to help us eat healthier. And I thought to myself, maybe if the kids were helping me grow vegetables, then they'd want to eat the vegetables. And uh, spoiler alert, it didn't help. I mean, I guess with my older one, it did a little bit. She thought it was cool to try new foods out. Um, the, uh, the younger two, no, but it's worth a try. We'll try it again and see if y'all have any ideas of how to get kids to eat vegetables on a regular basis, please, you know, post in the comments or send me a message. Let me know. Um, so with this previous garden this past summer, the kids took turns watering the plants. It also gave us a sense of accomplishment to watch the green tomatoes change to bright red. Uh, My older daughter was a good guard against picking them too early. She actually was very passionate about that. She wrote a sign, put it in the garden bed that said, do not pick green tomatoes. So um, this time, as time marches on, the current season is late winter, early spring. We um, visited a local farm to learn now about maple sugar. Um, It was very interesting. When the days become a bit warmer, but the night remains below freezing, maple sugaring is performed. We unfortunately don't have any of these trees, but the farm has a lot. According to the Vermont Maple Syrup Makers website, it requires 40 gallons of sap to create just one gallon of maple syrup. The sap looks just like water, which is almost, which it almost is almost water. It's 98% water. Only 2% is sugar. It is boiled down to create a thicker substance with increased sugar content as the water evaporates off. At our local farm, the kids are asked to help create holes in a tree log and then place a spout in the hole and hammer it in place. So if you, were, if you live somewhere with similar temperatures, check out your local activities in this month in March to see if you have anything like that. 
Um, and if it's warmer where you are, enjoy it. I'm jealous. It's still really cold here. Um, so just get some Vermont maple syrup and enjoy it with pancakes. So again, this week, think about what are your negative highways? Have you ever traveled on a bumpy gravel road or, or an arduous path compared to a well-maintained highway? And does practicing new habits sometimes feel like it's difficult? And then what back roads have you tried or would like to try? And remember to think about what bricks you carry and think, can you let any of them go that aren't necessarily helpful for you? So again, thank you for tuning in. Please let me know your thoughts and check out my website and subscribe to my newsletter. Thank you so much and have a great day.